I'm beginning to think. Yes, I'm beginning to think. Thoughts become me. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention, hosted by nationally recognized speaker Janine Hamner Holman. Janine knows what it takes to attract and retain world-class talent. Join her here each week on the cost of not paying attention as we use brain science, leadership, management, and real-life challenges managers face to explore the places where we aren't paying attention. Welcome to the cost of not paying attention. I'm your host, Janine Hamner-Holman. We are doing a very different kind of show today. So we got a text about 15 minutes ago from our guest for today saying that unfortunately she had a family medical situation and so she was not going to be able to be here. Who you're looking at, if you are looking at us either live or on Memorex on video, is Chaz Volk. And Chaz is the amazing producer of my podcast. And so we decided that we were going to probe into a conversation that Chaz and I just started three days ago. And, and we're going to see how this goes. Welcome to the show, Chaz. I mean, you know, you're here all the time, but usually people don't get to see you or, or hear your beautiful voice. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say, and it's really great to be here in front of the camera as opposed to behind the camera. Typically, I'm the <laughs> guy behind the scenes in The Wizard of Oz cranking different levers and pushing different buttons to make the kingdom run. And right. in, in this case, you know, I have the privilege of being in front of the camera while doing that. So there may be a few different delays here and there for vulnerability's sake, but <laughs> ultimately we're going to put on a good show and teach a lot of interesting concepts today. Yeah. So let's get right into it. Let's, because this is a whole different show, I'm not going to do my normal, what am I paying attention to? Nor am I going to ask Chaz the question that I normally ask guests. Let's get present back to that conversation that you and I started three whole days ago. So if you remember, what was the, what was the question that you asked me? Well, when you and I, well, so the last interview that you did. Yes with Enrique Acosta Gonzalez. Yep. I was very moved by, in the public eye, how vulnerable you were. You talked about your personal life. You spoke about things that weren't working 100%. And it caught my eye because out of all the podcasts that I produce, not many of my clients do that. And I was honestly really intrigued by that concept. And I asked, first of all, is that a good idea? And it challenged <laughs> some of my philosophies too. Right. And then the second thing is that I had to think about what that does from a connection standpoint. Because mm -hmm. it's either going to do one of two things, right? If you get too personal, you know, if you get to that TMI stage, right. you're going to turn people off. Or if you're at that connection empathy level, you're yeah. going to reel people in in this significant way. And I think that's really unique. Thanks. And, and so what I want to talk about today is why it is that I do that and, and why it is that I allow myself to do that. And, and as you spoke about, it's, 
it is very important to know know where the line is. And occasionally we might slide over the line, but in general, we want to, you know, we want to keep it appropriate when, when we are sharing information about ourselves, about our family. And here's why I do it. So as any of our longtime listeners know, I am an organizational development consultant. And so what that means is I work inside of organizations to help them where things aren't working out in terms of how people are working together, how people are interacting together. And this is a really interesting moment in time to be doing this work. So you're my podcast producer. You are amazing at your job. I take a lot of advice and input from you. And you are a young millennial. The oldest Gen Xers are now 26, I think. And so you're 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 like you're right, you're right on the bubble. I'm right on that, I'm right on that border, right? Yep. Right on the bubble between Gen X and Millennial. And so, and that's what's happening in the world of work. So again, people who listen to us frequently know that I am not shy about saying how old I am. I am uh, 58 years old. I was born in 1964, which means that I am the very last year of the baby boomers. And and there are things about me that are boomerish, and there's probably more things about me even that are Gen X-y. And the boomers, you know, born from 1947, I think, 1947 to 1964. I, I think that's right. Uh, they are now, many of them, retired. I mean, we, the, the boomers were called the boomers because we were this huge generation and we now make up about 10% of the workforce, depending upon who's doing the figuring. People say that the millennials and the Gen Z's coming up after, after them, after you are, will be 75% of the workforce sometime between 2025, which is in like five minutes, 2025 and 2030. So between two years and, and seven years from now, these two generations will be 75% of our workforce. So this is a huge demographic and genera general generational shift that is happening. The Gen Zs are the first population of people in the United States who are something other than white. The majority of them identify as something that is not white. It's the first time that's ever happened in the history of this country. And so there's a lot of changes that are happening because of that. These two groups of people grew up at a at a time when the general parenting style was to say like oh my gosh you are so magnificent you are 
so brilliant. You can do and be anything you want. And, you know, there's a front of the hand and the back of the hand with everything. Good side, not so good side. One of the great things that this has created in this generation is that they have enormous faith in themselves and self-confidence. The downside is they're like, yes, I'm 21. I'm just graduated from school. I'm ready to take over your Fortune 200 company. Right. So... <laughs> <laughs> I felt right? attacked when you said that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, front of the hand, back of the hand. But what that creates is that when I was growing up in the world of work, if I didn't have a great boss, tough noogies. Like, you deal with it, you suck it up, you put on your big girl panties, you go on antidepressants, you do whatever you have to do in order to, to get through that situation. Because what you will not do is quit a job without having your next job lined up. These generations, the millennials and the Gen Zs are like, no, screw it. I'm not putting up with your nonsense. I am not putting up with being talked down to. I'm not putting up with being marginalized. I'm not putting up with being disregarded or disrespected. I'm out because I know I can start my own business. I can create my own side hustle. I can move back in with mom and dad. Like, you know, there's a whole different, you know, we've got a whole generation of folks who feel perfectly fine as a generational like a, like a group like as a like yeah i mean obviously this is an oversimplification you right. would not feel great about moving back in with mom and dad you are like a you you have launched and yeah there's a lot of folks who would feel totally fine about it i've been there and i wanted to comment on you know some of the, some of the comments about the general motions of my generation. I am a millennial, but I'm right on that edge. Yep. And when I started to actually have real thoughts about my life, that's when we saw technological advancements and changes from the Walkman to the iPhone, to the iPod, right. everything in Apple. And so the iPod and, you know, ultimately where we're at is that people in my specific sliver have an interesting sort of perspective and wisdom on this from that we witnessed 9-11 and then we saw things change since then we were we had conscious thoughts at that point in time and we saw things go from you know the pleasant 2000s into everything after and things have only gotten more and more complicated so we've seen i mean i'm just gonna say it point blank we've yeah. been through some shit yeah but here's something engine that you brought up is that you, you kind of described a time in a culture where everyone got rewarded everyone got a gold star and I've thought often about, you know, my childhood and the sports that I played. I oftentimes think about how um, soccer was my worst sport. Uh -huh. I really, really tried to like it. And I was <laughs> never good at it. And we, our team never won a single game. Oh. And yet we still got a trophy. Right. And I think about that. And what did that really do? It taught it taught us it it taught us two things. I think one good and one bad. I think the first thing is that it's good that you tried. Yeah, trying means everything. That's a very basic concept that all children should learn. Yeah. But on the flip side of that, it also rewards, and I'm going to say this very harshly. People are going to be critical of this. It rewards adequacy. Yeah. 
And or maybe in your case, inadequacy. I mean, you you guys never won a game. Right. Exactly. Pretty much. That's it. It it rewards ineptitude. Yeah. What it does. Yeah. And when you reward ineptitude, people expect to receive a gold star every single time that they at least tried. Right. And that is problematic in the business world and in real life. I mean, it It creates a lack of resilience. I'm trying to think of real life examples here. Like, you know, and I think that's part of the problem today with, with our youth and our generation, our generation is that, you know, a lot of us are not very empowered. Mm -hmm. I think that my generation, they saw all these things pile up on them. They did not have the resources to put matters in their, their own hands. They did not learn the resilience that they needed to be an adult like you. (laughs) And because of that, a lot of them, a lot of my generation are still faltering. Mm -hmm. A lot of them get into their forties and they're still earning a 50 K per year salary. And, you know, they want to have families, but they've decided it's not practical to have a family. It's not practical to have children. And that's really a tragedy. You know, I, with, with what I do and in, in the kind of business that I have to be vulnerable keywords yes. there yes. is that, you know, I got angry enough to create a business. That's really what happened. <laughs> it wasn't that one day I woke up, stretched my arms, did a big yawn said, yeah, today's the day I'm going to make a business. It's <laughs> that I was pushed to my limits in the year of 2020. Right. Where I got so fed up that I said, no, I'm never going to have a job again. Mm-hmm. I got so angry that my work ethic became the way that I channeled my aggression instead of do, bringing it somewhere else. Right. And I was able to create Mr. Thrive Media because of it. We've been able to produce over 25 podcasts since then. And it's one of my greatest prides of this day. Yeah. And, and, and that goes back to like at 20, whatever, 20 young that you were in 2020 the thought that thought would never have occurred to me. So like, that's, that's the, that's the other side of the hand is that, you know, with, with the way that your generation has been brought up and, and, you know, and obviously I'm speaking in grand generalizations, you know, when you speak about a generation of humans, you know, you're talking about, you know, millions of people. So, Obviously, there are many exceptions in here. And that this came about in 2020. This is like the second part of the perfect storm that organizations find themselves in. So there, there's three components to this. The first is the population demographic shifts that we've been talking about. The second is the COVID pandemic. And, and part of what that created globally, having nothing to do with generations, is a a rethinking on the part of many people about the role of work in their lives. And so, you know, you and I haven't talked a lot about this, but it sounds like from what you're saying that, that that space that so many people had in 2020, when suddenly everyone was not everyone. I'm, I have several clients that did not have the opportunity to, to have people work from home because they're in service jobs where they had to be at work. And many people were suddenly working from home. And so it created a very different idea about the possibility of working from home. And it also created this whole new conversation 
which is often called work-life balance. I hate the word balance in that context because you're never going to have balance. The hmm. the seesaw is always going to go one way or the other. I was hmm. talking to a colleague who uh, worked from 4 a.m. until 6 p.m. yesterday. She has her own business. Like, there was no balance yesterday in her life. So what we're looking for is harmony. What we're looking for is, you know, overall a sense of harmony that things are working for you. And and I think that was the second major phenomenon that happened that's creating this perfect storm. So do I do I have that concept right that that that's part of what created for you the space to take action on the anger and create Mr. Thrive Media. On a macro level, absolutely. Yeah. You know, when, when I when I look back at the situation that I had, there were certain aspects of this that did create the perfect storm. Mm -hmm. And in other areas, I had to kind of force it to be, I think, a better scenario for me where there were sacrifices that I made, especially yeah. at the beginning when creating the business. And I found one thing kind of funny, which was that when I first started you know, really putting myself out there and networking and learning how to network. My introduction to that was strictly on Zoom. I had done very little to none before that. Yeah. And you and most people, me and most people, kind of what that did for me was put me in the virtual boot camp of mm. how to network. And mm -hmm. I learned very quickly what not to do. And I learned quickly what to do. And I mean, I remember when I first started, I would wake up at 530 in the morning every day do my exercise because I got to the point where I needed to exercise, mm -hmm. start my job at eight in the morning and just do zoom calls from 8 AM all the way until 7 PM sometimes. So, oh. you know, full on days. And by the way, th that doesn't include lunch, right? Because once I kind of got into the rhythm, I didn't want to stop. And so I had to, I had to later on in this part of my life, like after the year 2020, I had to learn to treat myself with better respect. So even though I was exercising in the morning, you know, that year in 2021, I lost 30 pounds. And I still wonder if all of the weight was lost in a healthy way, to be honest. Mm, mm -hmm. So, I mean, that was, I think, good for me. I think I looked really great in that time. I think I still look great. Today. <laughs> um, you look fabulous. I, I can tell you right now that the way I take care of myself now is diametrically opposite of how I took care of myself back in 2020. Yeah. So, you got to make sacrifices. You have to be willing to make those necessary cuts to comforts. And there was this, there was this YouTube channel that really got me through my pandemic experience that got me, that inspired me to take actions that my peers were not. Hmm. And that was this YouTube channel called yes theory. And their motto is seek discomfort. Huh. And so when I saw them doing these incredible challenges and going through the same struggles that we were going through during the pandemic, yeah, not, you know, going beyond just wearing the mask, but you know, this, the social distancing, um, having to interact with strangers in the virtual space almost all day. Right. I realized that what I was doing was possible. Yeah. They really got me through the pandemic. They are a group that really inspired me. So since then I've really, you know, taken on this identity of entrepreneur and then have been, I think that one thing that's really important is to adjust your ways as time goes on. You have to always be flexible. Yep. And I think the first step to being flexible is in meaning that not everything is working perfectly. What are my new priorities? Yeah. And that's really difficult to do and when to figure out how to do it or when, when to figure out when to ask that question. Right. That's really the biggest thing for me. Yeah. 
I love that. Thank you. So then the, the third piece of this perfect storm in which organizations are finding themselves. So first we have the demographic shifts and the millennials and the Gen Zs. Second, we have COVID and the work from home and the work-life harmony. And then third, we have these social movements. And so we've got diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We have the Me Too movement. We have Black Lives Matter. And, and so what this is creating is a new level in part, you know, like, just like in any sort of perfect storm, these things are all intertwined. And so because the millennials and the Gen Zs are the most socially aware, the most socially progressive generations in the history of our country, they care a lot about things like diversity, the Me Too movement, Black Lives Matter. And so organizations are being pushed to have stands on things, to create a DEI initiative, which is not a box check. A DEI initiative is a whole organizational transformation where diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, I, I always add, are really built into the organizational culture. And so, so this is the perfect storm. And so then what organizations are called to do, I believe, is the first thing is to transform our relationship with failure. Mm. In order to succeed, we've got to be okay to fail. And us humans, we hate failing. And, you know, it's not really all that much fun. And we will not grow. We will not succeed when we are just doing the things that are safe and easy. So I know, Chaz, in your business, you've tried different things. Some of them work. Some of them don't work. And you've got to pivot. Just, just, <laughs> just like this podcast episode today. We had a plan. It did not come true. We had to pivot. <laughs> That's right. And, you know, I, I like that. I like that comment that you made about getting comfortable with failing and also adjusting our, our way of thinking about failure and our relationship to it. A few thoughts. First of all, is that uh, Robert Kiyosaki, even though he's not someone that I solely think is the entrepreneur to get strategy from, he does have some incredible principles in his books, not to mention Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he talked about how he would love the idea of reforming the education system to adjust what failure means. Uh -huh. um, because when we, you know, that's like our, our, our gut reaction when we fail, that psychological trick that we have played in ourselves all these yeah. years comes from the awful, humiliating feeling of receiving an F or anything below a C. Right. That's the first thing, right? And that's problematic because failure is actually a really important part to life. And school is saying that that is an unacceptable part of life. Right. And that's just unrealistic. As a matter of fact, we all know our friends from Shark Tank. If you look <laughs> at the success rate of the businesses of all the sharks combined, do you actually know what the success rate is of all the businesses? I have. I don't know, but I would suspect it's like 20 or 30%. It teeters between 49% and 52%. Okay, so it's higher It's higher than I would have guessed. But It's yeah. higher than you would have guessed, but that's still an F, an accumulative 
That's an F. Right? That's an F right there. That's an F. <laughs> and that's really, I mean, like, that's actually really good for an entrepreneur. It's but, great for an entrepreneur, which is why I, I had the uh, idea that it might be lower. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's why it's, it's problematic that, that a lot of people don't even try things right. because they're scared to receive an F. They're scared to achieve the 49 between 52% sliver. If right. you get into that, if you get into that curve right there and you fail to reach it, then, then that's, then that's an absolute loss is the current right. mentality. And that's problematic. The second thing I wanted to bring up, there's actually a really wonderful book that I read a long, long time ago in college called fail better. And huh. it talks about that. It talks about that kind of relationship that we need with failure and how important it is to teach ourselves uh, this, this concept. Most situations to every to everyday people like you and I are not life and death. Right. You know, most people don't work in industries that save lives or take lives. Right. You know, that's a privilege that I have as a business owner and not a soldier right. or a doctor right. or a police officer, you know, right. or a scientist. Right. There are these different professions that most people don't have. Right. And if you're not in any of the labels that I just mentioned, in any of the titles that I just mentioned, your failures are actually successes. Right. It's an it's an opportunity to learn. Yeah. So basketball, NBA basketball player, I believe with the Minnesota Bucks, but I could be wrong about that. Giannis something Greek, uh, known as the Greek freak. So he if if you go to YouTube and you put in Greek freak failure, this video is going to come up and it is him talking for less than four minutes. It's, it is brilliant. And it's happening because a reporter asks him about the failure of this season. Mm. And the same reporter asked the same question last year. And and so that's what that's what triggers Giannis to go on this riff. And essentially what he says is there is no failure in sports. It is all an opportunity to learn. It is, you know, and, and one of the things he says is you know, Michael Jordan was in 15 NBA playoffs and they won six. So are you <laughs> telling me the other nine were failures? Right. Right. And and and. I love it that he's talking about this because sports is definitely one of the domains like sports and school are the two in particular domains where we have a it's all or nothing. It's a, this is a zero sum game. I get an A or I get an F right. and we've collapsed failing with the idea of being bad, being being a bad person person even more like you know i i talk with organizations and organizational leaders and i say you know with with those of them who have children or even just have children in their lives with everything that you know now about about bringing up kids would you say to a kid you are bad or would you say to a child that was a bad thing that you did like we make a difference between you are you are a bad boy and that was a that was a naughty thing that you did and we need to learn to make better choices right. and and we have collapsed this idea of failing and and are 
worth as a human are being bad. And, and we get to uncouple that yeah. now. Yeah. So if in order to succeed, we've got to be okay to fail, then in order to be okay with failure, we have to feel safe. We cannot be okay. We cannot create an organizational culture in which it's okay to fail if we don't have psychological safety in place so that people know that, yeah, humans make mistakes and we are going to try things. We are innovators. We are pushing the boundaries. We are learning new stuff. When you learn new things, you fall down. It's okay. In order to feel safe, we've got to have trust. In order to have trust, we've got to have connectivity. The key, so here, here I am, I'm bringing it all back now and tying it up with a bow. In order to have connectivity, people have to be open. They have to be okay with taking opportunities to be vulnerable. And, and vulnerability is another one of those words. We've collapsed vulnerable with weak. Mm-hmm. We need to uncouple that. There is nothing weak about showing your humanity. It takes strength to show our humanity, especially in business. And so I have made an intentional decision with this podcast to, to show my humanity, to talk about the things that aren't always going great in order to create that connection, create that safety, create that trust, begin to normalize our relationship with failure. And, and so, you know, it's, it is, it is what I am up to. And so it's part of how I model that it's okay to, to show our humanity. And it's part of how we make organizations great. Absolutely. Can I share with you a story? Please. And this is because you've, I've watched you in every single episode that I've had the privilege of producing be vulnerable. So I like to be vulnerable as well and tell a story, not just to you, and but to the little audience who was listening. Great. About a year ago, I had a client and I actually had acquired the client through a cold call of all ways. I was trying out different sales techniques. Wow. And surprisingly, I was able to close the deal from a cold call. This was of course over like a four month sales cycle, but I was sure. still able to make it happen. And I was really proud of myself. As well, you should be. Yeah. And the relationship started great. I was working with someone who is determined and was decisive and convenient and efficient to work with. And they were honestly something of an inspiration to me. Hmm. And I looked up to this person in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And I had also hoped that because of this person's level of determination, that it would challenge me. And it did. Mm -hmm. It was really exciting getting their podcast up and running. It was really exciting to have their show reach the top in a lot of different ways. Nice. And what ended up happening was a few months in, admittedly, this is where I'm going to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. I probably got a little bit complacent. Mm. I got comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I started to make careless mistakes. And the client noticed it and called me out for it. Mm -hmm. And I fixed it. Mm -hmm. And then a few months later, I made another mistake. And I was late on the production 
Mm. And then a few months later, there was a whole entire scheduling issue. Mm. I completely derailed the original schedule of the show. Ooh. And because of this fiasco, I got on really bad terms with the client and it got me to an, it got me out of discomfort and more into just lack of confidence around mm-hmm. this particular client. I started mm-hmm. to overthink everything, every note that they gave me, I overthought it. And it made mm-hmm. me, it caused me to create more mistakes. Yep. And it was no longer about being sloppy. It was now about me just straight up failing and realizing that I only could dig my own grave deeper and deeper. And there was no way out. Yeah. I no longer felt safe speaking with this person. And so what did you do? Well, I, I tried, I tried harder and harder and harder and I kept on overthinking it. I didn't give myself a chance to breathe. What ended up happening was the client ended up, I, I, I there was because of this one faux pas, I was trying to arrange a time with him to, to chat and when I called him up to schedule something and this, what was intended to be a brief call, the client ended up spending 40 minutes on the call berating me. Oh, spent 40. I, and I sat there, I stood there for 40 minutes listening to this client, get it out of their system. And I'm right. not exaggerating when I say 40 minutes, by the way, mm-hmm. it was a 40 minute monologue about how mm. bad of a person I am, about how lazy and complacent and pathetic oh. of a professional I've become. Oh, telling me that I was the worst and only stress in their life. <laughs> and this was something that oh, in my core that I'm really so just sorry. it was scarring. Like this yeah. person wanted to hurt me, very yeah. clear intention to hurt me. Yeah. If I had gone about that call a different way, I probably would have hung up and said, let's talk when you're ready. But I stood there and I took it the entire time. Mm-hmm. And that was this grave mistake that I made because what ended up happening was I was trying to be proactive. The client was now on a destructive war path. The call ended with no solution. And after the final interview that I got to facilitate on their behalf, the client from that call, I felt like they didn't really give me much of a chance to improve and fired me. And I remember being really deeply hurt by that. And I remember being asked by my mentor, did you learn anything from that? Mm. And in that moment, I was so close to the problem. I was so close right. to the situation. There was no way I could productively take out a lesson from that. Yeah. But after a few months went by, which is really how long it took to heal from that awful conversation, because I am of a sensitive course. person. Right. I ended up deducing a few solutions mm-hmm. from that, a, a few different lessons learned from that. The first lesson is that, yeah, just need to be more attentive to my work. I need to be more detail-oriented, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. That's true. I will mm-hmm. not deny that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is that I should have hung up on that call. I shouldn't have <laughs> let the client create me the way that they did because that mm-hmm. wasn't very professional of them. Right. That was actually a really awful thing to endure. Yeah. And the third thing that I, le- that I learned from this experience is that there were some opportunities for me to better to get myself in a better place, to be more professional. Mm -hmm. So am I still mad at that client? Yeah, I probably wouldn't, you know, I, I I probably, I probably wouldn't touch that client with a 10 foot pole. Right. Ex client, excuse me. Yes. Yes. But what I would do though, and then what I have done is I've taken the company from where it was and 
done things to make it more professional, more integrated with sales processes, mm -hmm. more integrated with marketing processes. I've really grown from that experience. I've gotten a thicker skin from that experience, no less. I channeled the anxiety and the grief from that experience into productive solutions. The same way that years ago, I had channeled my anger from life not being good to me mm -hmm. into creating a business in the first place. Yeah. So it, it takes time. But allowing yourself to admit, yeah, this hurts. And instead of ignoring it and, you know, circumventing it, actually facing it and saying, no, I can turn this into something good really does pay off over time. And it is the one thing that you need as a human being to be relentless and to survive. A lot of people brag about themselves being this sort of extraordinary entrepreneur. But the truth is you will never be the entrepreneur you talk about yourself being if you don't learn persistence, if you don't learn how to be relentless and how to be able to look past these shortcomings, admit the shortcomings, face them and grow from them. So first, I just want to really appreciate you for sharing that story. I, of course, know little pieces of that story, but I've never heard it in total. The second is I want to, on behalf of business owners and managers and CEOs and leadership everywhere, I want to apologize for the way that that person spoke to you, that I have been spoken to that way. Many people have been spoken to that way. And even though, you know, you and I just did a, a physical flick of it off our shoulder, the reality is it, does, it doesn't flick, it sticks. And, you know, words, words hurt. And I, as, as our longtime listeners know, I am on a campaign to normalize mental health issues. And part of our collective mental health challenge is in having dealt with toxic managers and the way that that person spoke to you in not just saying this performance issue was a problem, but in making you a bad person, that's never acceptable. And, and it has happened to me. It has happened to you. It has happened to, I'm sure, many, many, actually, I know, <laughs> the vast majority of our listeners, because according to the Harvard Business Review, it has happened to 99% of workers have been treated in, in civilly, un, uncivilly at work. You know, it is, it is a problem that I am uh, committed to being part of the solution for. So I want to I want to apologize that that happened to you. And I want to honor you in, in now knowing what you should have done was, was, you know, called, called that question off. And I'm sorry, I just should on you. I really try to not should on people what you should have done. No, 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 no. What you had an opportunity to do right. was something different. And yeah, no, it's, it's totally okay. I, I do not mind being shit on every now and then, <laughs> but uh, I want to say thank you for that. That's really, really kind of you. And I want to commend you as well, Janine, for the, I'm going to call it the assault on lack of mental health and businesses. There needs to be a, a much higher prioritization of mental health and healthy cultures within office spaces. Managers themselves need to be held accountable 
for their actions. Supervisors need to be given the proper training and the proper guidance to be better than they were the the, the, the day before. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think your work in DEI and mental health and productive cultures is not to be unnoticed. I'm intentionally putting this banner below because <laughs> I want people to email you right now saying, hey, I have a not so perfect office culture right now. Please help me. Yeah. And I, and I would love to help you if you find yourself in that sort of a situation. I also really want to applaud, Chaz, the way that um, that you ended that story, which was looking at what there was for you to learn. And that's really, you know, when we're looking at transforming our relationship with failure, that's our opportunity is to, is to think about it as a learning opportunity, to think about us in this organization. Are we a learning organization or are we an organization that is operating on fear, on you can never make a mistake? Because, you know, because humans make mistakes. We mess things up. I made a $20 million mistake once. Um, you know, huge, huge fucking mistake. There is no way around that. $20 million. I could have been fired. I wasn't because my boss started immediately. A, I owned up to it. I walked my little self into his office and said, boss, I <laughs> made a really big mistake. And I'm freaking out and I don't know what to do about it. And so because of the way I owned it, he immediately started helping me figure out what to do about it and how we could fix it. And in the end we did, and it, it all came out okay. And, you know, that was him on a good day. That was the organization on a good day. On a bad day, I would have been fired. And when we can get into that boat with our people and start helping them paddle to a solution, you know, that's, that's where the juice is. And, you know, if, if I had been flagrant about that mistake and tried to cover it up, which was my first instinct, when I realized it, A, I thought I was going to be sick and B, it's like, how can I cover this up? Because that's what we do. We're like, oh, shit, shit, $20 million. I'm going to get fired. I don't want to get fired. So I have to cover this up. I went down that rabbit hole for about 20 seconds and then thankfully my brain came back and I was like, no, actually what I, what I need to do is I go, need to go tell my boss. And so I did. And, and because of how I showed up, we were able to fix it. And, you know, and that's, that's part of, that's part of what it is to be a learning organization. And that's part of what organizations in 2023 get to start living into. Well, well said. Thank you. And, you know, and the key to all of it, in order to succeed, we've got to be okay to fail. In order to be okay with failing, we've got to feel safe. In order to feel safe, we've got to have trust. In order to have trust, we've got to have connectivity. That all starts with being okay with being human, yep. being okay with being vulnerable in appropriate kinds of ways. So that is why it is part of what I bring into this show every week. I hope you have enjoyed this sort of flying by the seat of our pants kind of episode here, but I feel like this was really, this was really great. So I think we put on a good um, show. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they bought it? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> 
So Chaz, thank you so much for being willing to, um, to experiment with me, to play with me. Thank you always for your support of not only the podcast, but for, uh, for me, for our friendship. I really appreciate you. It's my pleasure. And I really am grateful for our friendship and our relationship, uh, both working and, and, uh, and personal as well. It really does mean the world. Awesome. I am Janine Hamner-Holman, and this has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Remember, great leaders make great teams. Until next time. On behalf of Janine Hamner-Holman, thanks for paying attention. This has been The Cost of Not Paying Attention. Head on over to our website, www.janinehamner.com forward slash podcast for access to the show notes as well as additional resources. Remember, great leaders make great teams.